you are able, please rise as we read God's Word this morning from Malachi chapter 3, and we'll be reading uh, the 1 to 18 this morning. Hear the reading of God's Word. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and your contributions? You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And therefore, and thereby put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evil doers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. It shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So far the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. The grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but the word of the Lord will stand firm and true forever. Lord, make this promise a reality. Guide your word here this morning. Guide my words to these people gathered here today. Wash over us, guide us, and protect us. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a television show that normally airs on the History Channel, but I have been watching it lately on Netflix because that's what we do these days. We watch things on Netflix, not on regular television. I admit that this show is a bit cheesy, it's a bit corny, and maybe perhaps I shouldn't even admit that I watch it, but I'm going to do it nonetheless. I'm not sure if you've seen this show. I'm not even sure if the people that are doing this show are actually the ones that are performing and doing the things that they say they're doing. I just don't know. I will take their word for it. All that to say, I watched it because Forged in Fire intrigues me. Maybe you've seen the show. 
There's something about the art of being a blacksmith that captures my imagination. There's something about it that in this show, they often, at the beginning of the show, they tell these four individuals, you have to create something, and they usually give them old pieces of iron or bits and pieces of scrap that nobody wants. Maybe like a leaf spring on an old pickup truck, a rusty, beaten down leaf spring that has no value to anybody. And they say, you must take this leaf spring. If you don't know what that is, it's that big U-shaped thing underneath the pickup by the rear wheels. And they say, you have to take this thing that doesn't make any difference to anybody, and you have to make this old, rusty thing into something beautiful. You have to make a knife or a sword, and you have to take this and transform it into something beautiful. And I'm fascinated by this reality that a person can take something like a leaf spring and turn it into something that is destined for the garbage pile and turn it into a samurai sword that glistens and shines in a museum or above a mantelpiece. To to take something that was old and make it something new. This is what intrigues me about this show and about what it looks like and what it means to be a blacksmith. This wonderful transition and transformation that happens as a hunk of old steel, an unwanted piece of metal, discarded and thrown into the bin, is made into something beautiful. But if you were ever to watch Forge and Fire, you would know that there comes a moment in the television show that is kind of the pinnacle moment. It's not when the hosts say that it's, it's going to happen. It's, it's not the stars of the show that make this show the reality and the kind of the drama moment. It's not when they unveil even their knives or their swords. But it's a moment after the blacksmiths put this piece of metal into a forge and they, they heat it up to a very, very hot metal where they can mold it and they can hammer it and they can shape it and they turn this leaf spring into a shape of a knife or a sword and, the, and, the, and the, this, this metal is red hot and glowing with heat and fire and then they take this piece of metal and they dunk it into a vat of oil and it's called the quench and it's in that moment when everything happens whether or not it's going to be a success or a failure and whether the person goes on in the show or not. Sometimes nothing happens. Other times they put it in the hot oil and the blade cracks. And the transformation can't take place. But the metal's been worked. It's been reworked, hammered and pounded. But the metal needs to be hardened. It needs, it needs to be fashioned into something wonderful. And it's this moment, this quench, when this hot piece of metal is dunked, is the moment of truth. If all goes well, it doesn't warp or crack. But it comes outside. It comes on the other side of the fire into something new. There is something to this process. I don't know the science. I don't pretend to know the science. But what I do know is that there's fire involved. Hot, hot fire. But what's unique about this fire and what's unique about this process is that it doesn't consume the metal. It's the hottest fire that you can imagine. So hot that it turns metal red or yellow or white. But it doesn't disintegrate the metal. It doesn't consume it. It doesn't destroy it. It's the kind of fire that removes the imperfections. It's the kind of fire that that draws out the various carbons and the various imperfections in the steel. It, It takes out the rust. And it takes out all of these things in order that it can be 
molded and shaped and, and fashioned. So there's something about this fire that's intriguing. As hot and terrible as what this fire is, it does not destroy, but rather allows the metal to be purified, to be turned and transformed into something beautiful, into what the artisan desires it to be, whether it's a knife or a samurai sword. The, the artisan uses the fire to make it something beautiful and wonderful. And this is a transformation that takes place from a leaf spring to a sword. Something old to something new. In Malachi 3, in verses 3 to 4, this is exactly what he's referring to. We're a little bit disconnected from the worlds of blacksmiths and forge just because we don't have to be. We can just go to the store and buy a knife. We don't have to see where that knife comes from. We can go to the mall and we can buy a knockoff sword because we don't have the ability, we don't have the blacksmith down the street. We don't know what the blacksmith does to, to forge the shoes for our horses. We're just disconnected. But this is what Malachi is speaking of and the people that were hearing this understood because they walked by the blacksmith every single day. They probably felt the heat from the fire as he worked from sunup to sundown to make shoes for the horses, to make weapons, to make cutlery. This is part of their everyday life. And so Malachi uses this very illustration of a refiner's fire. You've seen this fire. You've seen an artisan take something old and make it into something new. And for two chapters, the prophet has been, been, been pretty hard on the priests and on the people. But here in this chapter, this is actually a word of encouragement. A word of encouragement to the priests, yes, and also to the people. And I just want you to bear with me as I draw this out and to see this, this, what Malachi is saying is, is hoping to draw the people back. For this is the role of the prophet, not just to, to hammer them, but the role of the prophet is to draw the people back to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Malachi is echoing the words of the Lord. Return to me. Do you hear the Father's voice? Come home. Come back. Return to me. For I am good and gracious. And this is what Malachi is saying. Return. For he's a loving God. And a gracious God. And he wants to remind them, although there have been inconsistencies in their lives, there have been evils performed, they've committed sins, and they've found themselves like that old pickup truck's leaf spring. Rusty, beaten, broken, tired, dented. The Lord, the refiner, will place them in the refiner's fire to work, to shape, to transform them into the kind of people that he wants them to be. To transform them into new creations, into something glorious, into something wonderful, into his people, the people that he loves and cares for. And for us this morning, I want us to see something very clearly here from the prophet Malachi. The prophet is issuing a word from the Lord. And it's a word of motivation from the Lord. 
Is the Lord out to rain fire and brimstone out upon these people? Is he out to rain fire and brimstone out upon us, about our world, about the, the evils and the, and the disasters of our world? No. The Lord is sitting and waiting for his people to return, not to, to err, not, not so they, they would, that they would mess up again just so that he can hammer them once upon a time again. In verse 5, he, he does say that he will execute judgment, but who is the judgment coming upon? Do you see that in verse 5? It comes upon those who don't fear the Lord. It comes upon the evildoers. It comes upon the people outside of his people. The judgment is coming not for his people, who he's, he's urging and proclaiming, return to me. The judgment's coming for those who don't fear the Lord. And this is what the judgment is. So the word here from the Lord is that he will draw near. He does draw near to those who fear him. And for those who fear him, this should be and ought to be, friends, for us, Malachi 3 should be a call to embrace. To embrace the Lord. To embrace each other and to encourage each other. May all of us return to the Lord as individuals and as a body. Because the Lord is drawing near to us and this is a comfort and this is a hope that we're not left alone. But he is near and he always will be near. He hasn't forgot about us and he hasn't forgot about justice. He hasn't forgot about mercy for the day of the Lord is coming. When, just, when true justice will win the day, the Lord does and will draw near and he begs the people, he begs us, return. Return to Him. And this is ultimately the message of the prophets. Return to the Lord. Return to the One who does give comfort. Return to the One who, who does give peace and mercy to the God of your fathers. The God of peace. The God of salvation. And yes, the God of transformation. So wherever you find yourself this morning, can I encourage you and can I encourage all of us Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Today. Now. This moment. Because He draws near to you. And He's moving towards you. Because He is the artisan. He is the craftsman who sees your dents, sees your rust, sees that you weren't the leaf spring that you were intended to be. But he also sees something else. He sees that which he desires for you. He sees the other side of the fire. He sees the thing that he is making you into. He sees a new creation. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. And he looks at you in the same way. And so he sees glory, he sees wonder, and he sees awe. And he sees a transformed person with a new identity. Just as that piece of metal was defined formerly as a hunk of metal destined for the bin, now it's something beautiful and glorious. This is who the Lord is. This is what he does for each and every one of us. This is who we are here and now. So again, like the prophet, 
I urge all of us, return to the Lord, for He is the refiner, and He does refine and transform us. In chapter 3, there are an immense amount of things that we could discover and we could draw out of this text. But as I looked at this passage, there really are a few questions that demand to be asked and demand to be answered as we look at this really big chapter. So I have three questions for us, and I, and I pray that the Lord would comfort and guide all of us as, as we look at these three questions. And those three questions are this. If the Lord is indeed the trans, transformer, the, the artisan that transforms us from an old hunk of metal into something beautiful and new, like a, a beautiful shining knife or sword, if He indeed transforms us, how? How does He transform us? And, and we get that answer in verses 3 to 5. And the second question that, that must be asked are, what are we transformed into? If we were once this piece of metal, he's not making me into a sword, I don't think. At least I hope not. So what is he making me, us, to be? What is he transforming us into? What is this beautiful thing that he's creating, that he's hammering out? And then the last question that I want to ask is why does he transform us? And we get that answer in verses 13 to 18. So the first question is, how does he transform us? He's not literally saying he's hammering us out like a blacksmith does, but he is saying, I am like that. I am like a refiner who puts us in a fire and heats us up and pulls the dross, the impurities out of the metal to make us into something glorious. So, so how does he do this? I'm going to read a little bit from Matthew Henry's commentary. I don't normally use Matthew Henry's commentary, and sometimes I don't even find it all that helpful. But this is a helpful paragraph out of Matthew Henry's commentary. He says these words, Christ, by his gospel, shall purify and reform his church, and by his spirit working with it shall regenerate and cleanse particular souls. For to this end he gave himself for the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, and purify to himself a peculiar people. Christ is the great refiner. He will purge them with fire as gold and silver are purged, for he baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. With the Holy Ghost working like fire, he will purge them by afflictions and manifold temptations, that the trial of their faith may be found to praise and honor. He will purge them so as to make them a precious people to himself. So what is Matthew saying? What's Mr. Henry saying to us is, how does the Lord refine us? Well, if we were like that piece of metal, and we were to go into a fire, it would be pretty hot. <laughs> it would probably be uncomfortable. It wouldn't be the most pleasant of experiences. And so the Lord uses these experiences to refine us. He uses sufferings. He uses tragedy. He uses difficult moments to show us himself, to refine us, to draw near to us, and that we would draw near to him. Suffering is arguably the quickest way to grow spiritually, although that's really hard to hear. This is what a refiner does. He uses the difficult things, the, the, the heat of that moment, to draw us in and create in us something new. 
I would even dare say most of us would testify that our times of greatest spiritual growth happen in our times of greatest trial. When we need the Lord the most is when we're in the greatest need of Him in times of difficulty. But the key to suffering is, is what is our response to that? I remember a particular challenging period in my life where I was questioning all sorts of things about who I was, the call in my life, who I was as a man, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, all of these things. It was a, it was a deep time of doubt, a deep time of struggle about the world, about my God. Everything was being challenged. And I was at the end. It was a time of deep trial and pain. But God used that moment, those moments, to draw me back to Himself. But He actually drew me into a a deeper level of brokenness. To understand in greater depths my need of Him. Because I couldn't do everything on my own. I am not the accomplished person that I think I am or want to be. And he actually broke me more and more. And in that breaking, he showed me himself more and more. He showed me his strength, his power, his glory. And so I wanted to grow in my understanding of who are you, God, in in my life. And I said, I'm yours. Whatever that means. Use me. How can I grow in this time of suffering? In order for God to train us, to shape us, to hammer us, and to mold us, He permits His fire to melt away the dross. He permits His fire to melt away certain areas of our lives. And this fire causes us to die more to ourselves so that He can draw more fully near to us. This period of time was very hard for me. But I believe truly that in the end, God used it to make me a better man. To make me a better father, husband, pastor. I'm not perfect. He's not done hammering around the edges on Ryan. But there was a fire most definitely. It's never easy to go through difficulty because we have to wrestle through these difficult things. We have to wrestle what it means to be changed of how God changes us. Consider the book of Job, even if you will. He was blameless and upright and and, and terrible trials hit his life and his family. Imagine losing almost everything other than your life. And Job survived this terrible experience and His faith didn't waver or wane. This is how the Lord transforms, makes us into new creatures, new people. We persevere because the refiner draws us out, draws us to himself. But God also didn't immediately answer my prayers or Job's prayers. Job was in the fire for a really long time. But in the end, God blessed Job in a far greater way than anyone ever hoped or could imagine. Sometimes we do face unanswered prayers. And trials continue day in and day out. And we don't know why. We don't know why God chooses us to refine us in certain ways and not in others. 
but he refines us into new creations of his liking and of his creativity. He wants, us to, he wants to bring us into a higher resurrection power and faith. You see, these are the ways of God. These are the ways of the refiner, of the blacksmith, taking something old and making something new. That's how. That's how he normally chooses to transform us. But then what are we transformed into? What does he make us? We've gone through the fire and he's heated us up and he's banging us around the edges. And what is he transforming us into? What is he making? What is he doing? The Lord uses difficult situations to mold and shape us. He uses difficult situations to transform us. But what exactly are we transformed into? If we are the old leaf spring, what comes out the other side of the fire? What kind of sword or knife are we? Honestly, there are many, many things that we could point to that the Lord has done in our lives where we could say, yes, this is how he transformed me, or this is what he is making me to be. But from Malachi chapter 3 and in the heart of the text, we understand that Malachi is speaking something specific about what the Lord is transforming his people into, about what he's transforming us into. In verses 6 to, 6 to 12, we see this. We see the powerful strikes of the hammer, and as he is molding it, and he, he puts it on the anvil, and he, he strikes, and he shapes. The Lord returns to the promises that he made to the fathers of Israel, that he would be their God, and that he would not leave them or forsake them. He returns to the promises that he told them that he would not destroy them, he would not consume them, but he also returns to the covenant that they made with him. That they would obey. That they would obey his commands. And he pleads with them to return, to come back. Do not fear, return to me. The pleas come from one who has been wronged. Who has experienced injustice. The Lord has been wronged by us. For the Lord yet still redeems them, however. And he has brought them out of bondage and he wants them to recall and to remember this. He has brought them to himself. He has forgiven them time and time again. This is what he says to them in these verses. Do you remember what I've done for you? Do you remember the time and time where you've been stiff-necked and you've rebelled and yet I was faithful to you? He sent prophet after prophet, judge after judge, and he has remained faithful. But now the words of reality and truth come striking down with the hammer. You have wronged me. After everything I have done for you, you have wronged me. You have robbed me. And they reply, just as they've done in other times in Malachi, how have we wronged you? How have we robbed you, O Lord? We don't see it. Before we're too critical of the people again, it's wise to check our own hearts and determine how we reply in similar situations with similar accusations. The Lord says to them, you have robbed me. How have we robbed you? And how many times have we said similar things? The Lord says, you have robbed me of your tithes and your offerings. Now here's the difficult thing to hear, right? He addresses the entirety of the congregation, the entirety. He says the whole nation, all of them, all of the people have wronged and robbed the Lord. Not just one, not just ten, not just a hundred, but the entirety of the nation has wronged the Lord, has robbed the Lord of his tithes and offerings. He issues a corporate statement. 
into the sin of the people. Now let's be clear, there were probably, most likely, some who were tithing and giving offerings the way they ought and the way they should. And yet the Lord still issues a corporate indictment against the people. When he says, return to me, he's not talking to individuals. He's using the the southern, y'all return. Y'all come back. But the indictment is also corporate. Y'all have wronged me and robbed me. So y'all need to return. There's a conversation in our circles through circles today that surrounds a similar type of conversation. Not the topic of tithing, but the topic of negligence and sin. In the time of Malachi, it can be said with some level of certainty, as I said, there were some who were doing what they were supposed to, and yet the corporate indictment rains down, and the corporate encouragement to return beckons all. Sin is not done in isolation. Obedience is not done in isolation. Both are done within a community. Both are done within a corporate body. Forgiveness is done as individuals and as a corporate body. Repentance is done in individuals and as a corporate body. But this is the part that I want us to see. He speaks to the entire nation and says, Try me. Try me. See if you all repent and begin to tithe and offer sacrifices. See what happens. Test my grace. Test my mercy. Test my forgiveness as a whole body, as a whole nation. Come back to me and see what happens when you repent and when you tithe and when you give offerings. Try me. See if when you obey, the storehouses will not be opened up, the windows will not be opened and blessings pour out. Try me. He's he's begging them. Please, try and see what will happen when when we do this. Try. Return and see what the response is from the Lord. Trust the Lord with all of your heart is what He's saying to us. Trust Him with our hearts, with our attitudes, with our kindness, with our mercy, with our money, with our gifts, with our service. Are we giving the Lord everything that He requires? Are we holding back and robbing Him of the things that He desires and demands? Return to the Lord and see if He'll open the storehouses and pour out blessings. For you see, what the Lord transforms us in, what He makes us into, is a generous people. He takes a lump of old metal of broken hearts, hearts of stone, and he turns them into hearts of flesh that are generous and kind and loving. The kind that give, that tithe, that give offerings, that serve, that empathize, that sympathize. Generous with our money. Generous with our love and our mercy. For he says the result is that when we do these things, we inherit a land of delight. For the world that we live in, when we are generous people, is what he says as he pours out blessings. Then we live in the kind of land that he wants us to be, and we are a people of his delight. When we're generous with everything that we have, it's not only money, part of it, 
but generous with our whole lives. This is who he makes us into. And this is the glory that we are as his people, of being generous with all that we have. And the final question that must be asked and briefly answered is, why does he do this? Why, why does he transform us? Why does he even bother to, to, to take our hearts of stone, these, these lumps of metal and steel that are cast off to the bin, that are dead in their sin and misery? Why does he pick us up? Why does he put us into the fire? Why does he make us into a generous people? Verse 17 gives the answer. Do you see it there? Verse 17 is all we need to hear this morning. And this is where I want us to see the encouragement. This is where I want us to to, to feel what the Lord is, is, is imploring them to understand and to know and what he wants us to see. Why? What's the motivation behind it all? Verse 17, right off the bat. Do you see it? Do you see the answer? They shall be mine. Why does he do it? Because he wants a relationship with you. He wants to show you how much, as we saw in the first chapter, how much it is that he loves you and he loves us and he wants us to be with him and he wants to be near us and he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people so that they shall be mine. What a comfort. What a joy. What a mind-blowing understanding it is that the Lord of the universe, the great artisan of creation, who shaped creation not by a hammer, but by the power of his voice, now does all of this because he wants you to be his. His son, his daughter. Let that ring in our souls this morning. That everything that he does is in order that a right relationship would be restored and maintained and grown. Recall with me the fire that wicked the body of our Savior. Recall with me the fire that wicked the body of our Savior as he took the pains and the sin of death upon himself. Recall with me the fire, the refiner's fire that wicked our Savior as he experienced the lake of fire in the pits of hell in order that we would never know that fire. That we would never know the all-consuming fire. That we would never know the misery or hear the screams of being touched by that fire. But rather that we would have something far more glorious that we would know a land of true delight. A land flowing with the milk and honey of eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus is the messenger that that Malachi is talking about at the outside of chapter 3. Jesus is the one that draws us to himself and calls us brother, sister. He loves us. Return to the Lord. Return to your God in order that you would know what it means to be restored and made into this kind of people. A generous people. A people loved and love. And he does not consume. But draws you to himself to call you his own. He is the one that makes you a new creation. And as this new creation, you are not placed up on a mantle. You are not placed in a museum for people to look at but you are placed in eternity 
in right dominion over creation the way the Lord has intended us to be with him for eternity. Placed into the family of God as an heir to the craftsman's land of delight and glory. This is what the refiner's fire does for each and every one of us today. Return to the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for you have indeed made us into new creations. Draw us to yourself that we may know of your embrace, that we may see it, experience it, know it, be comforted by it. Thank you that you've called us your own and you have never left us or forsaken us. Wash over us with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.